Hey, podcast listeners. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share a special event coming up at Hope Scarves, our annual Storython. From March 14th to the 20th, we have a goal to collect 100 cancer survivor stories for the Hope Scarves story collection. If you have faced cancer or know someone who has, please share this opportunity with them. You can share your story in two ways. Go online to hopescarves.org and complete our story form, or you can schedule a 15-minute phone call with one of our volunteers. If you have a scarf, you can share that too. Your story will be paired with your scarf to go out to someone newly diagnosed. And if you don't have a scarf, your story will be added to one of our community scarves and start its journey as a hope scarf. Telling your story is a way to reflect and heal. Your words may be an inspiration and example to someone newly diagnosed with cancer. Please visit hopescarves.org and help us reach our goal of 100 cancer survivor stories for our 2021 Storython. This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no. We're talking about hard stuff. Cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff. Love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. In today's episode of A Hopeful Life Podcast, you get a glimpse into the important connection shared between people facing similar circumstances. Allison Rash and I are both facing metastatic breast cancer, and we talk openly and honestly about our strategies for living a hopeful life. Sharing your story and connecting with others who get it is key to making sense of our circumstances and feeling less alone. That, my friends, is the foundation of Hope Scarves. We help cancer survivors reflect and pass along their strength to others through storytelling. And we celebrate this important part of our work each year with our annual Storython. This year's Storython is March 14th through 20th, and our goal is to collect 100 survivor stories in one week. Allison was kind enough to help me demonstrate in our episode how we collect stories at Hope Scarves. So if you, dear listener, are a cancer survivor, please join us for Storython and share your story with Hope Scarves. You can learn more about storytelling and Storython on the Hope Scarves website, hopescarves.org. Enjoy Allison's story and our beautiful conversation about living a hopeful life, regardless of what's to come next. Hi, I'm Allison Rash. For me, living a hopeful life means 
living with open hands and enjoying the moments I have right now, and also hoping and making plans for many more in the future. Well, Allison, welcome to A Hopeful Life Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad we made this work as two women living with metastatic breast cancer, with children, and the craziness that all of that brings. Coordinating our schedules to be here today was quite a feat. Yes. (laughs) And you, my friend, are also celebrating your birthday today? I am. 41. Oh, Happy birthday. Thank you. I can't. Thank you. And you're having a CT scan today? Yes, I get CTs today as well. Yes. Oh my gosh. So all the things, all the things on my birthday. This is life with metastatic breast cancer. I just I'm so grateful for you to also carve out a little bit of time together this morning to talk. Well, I'm honored to be here and to talk with you. So Allison. I am going to organize our chat a little bit differently because I'd like for our conversation to also help show people how we are going to do our Storython, which is an annual event at Hope Scarves that is um, an event we do each year to collect stories for our story collection. So at Hope Scarves, we support people facing cancer through scarves, stories, and research. And we collect scarves and stories from people who have faced cancer. They're dry cleaned and then sent on to other women in treatment. And you've received a Hope Scarf. Yes, it's beautiful. I love it. And do you remember the story that came with it? I, um, gosh, I just looked at them the other day and I don't remember the exact story that came with it. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's okay. You never put a cancer patient on the spot with a question because chemo brain is for real. So yes. <laughs> sometimes the details are foggy. But yes. um, I'm just curious how receiving a Hope Scarf, um, how that felt for you as part of your cancer experience. Um, I think receiving a Hope Scarf feels very comforting because it somehow kind of connects you with other women sharing a similar experience. And so um, reading the story that came with the Hope Scarf, um, receiving the scarf itself and getting to wear it, I think made me feel like part of that community. Mm. And even though we were, especially during this time of COVID, when everyone is home and distanced, um, I think it just brings about a connection to others, yeah. which I think is so important and so um, comforting and encouraging and healing as well. Mm. I'm just, I'm really grateful that we could support you with that scarf and the thousands of women that we connect with um, annually. We've sent actually almost 16,000 Hope Scarves to every state and 27 countries. So that is amazing. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Scarves is solid, it's strong, and I'm grateful that you're part of it. And I can see behind you the beautiful scarves hanging. It's incredible. So I I just keep thinking about them going to each one, going to a different person who's facing um, a challenge. Yeah. I never realized that our scarf room was actually the perfect place to record a podcast. So I love that I tuck myself back 
in the corner of the scarf room and I'm surrounded by all these scarves and stories. And I feel like they're they're right here with me every time I have these great conversations on the podcast. Sometimes people think it's my closet. And <laughs> like, I wish I had this kind of closet, all these colors and this organized. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I know. Thank you. Well, so we host a storython every year as part of one of the ways we collect stories for our story collection. And our goal is 100 survivor stories that we will collect for Hope Scarves from March 14th to March 20th. So it's a week-long story then. And one of the things we're going to do is on Thursday, March 18th, we have volunteers who are going to call women around the country and take about 10 minutes and ask them the questions of our story form to help capture their story. And so I thought as part of the podcast, it would be fun um, to lead into this episode by kind of doing one of those calls with you and capturing your story so it can be added to the Hope Scarf collection and be paired with a scarf and go out to someone else facing cancer. Sounds good. Okay. So the way the calls will work, just for any of our listeners who might want to participate, is you'll sign up on our website for a call, and it'll it'll be a half-hour time slot on Thursday, March 18th, and we will have a volunteer call you, and it'll really only take 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and you can tell your story to Hope Scarves in any format. So you can write it as a poem, you can write it as an essay, or if it's helpful, we have some, some writing prompt questions on our story form, which you can submit online if you prefer not to have someone um, call you at the Storython. You can just go online to hopescarves.org and submit your story. But today, we're going to kind of do an example with how it'll be when we do an interview. And at the same time, we're going to get a chance to learn more about Allison and um, her beautiful story, Facing Cancer and Beyond the Way That You Shine Light into This World. So the first question of the story form is, how do you find hope during your cancer experience? Mm. There are, gosh, a lot of ways I find hope. So um, I was thinking back a little bit to um, when I was first diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And my first thoughts were, um, I'm not going to be here for my kids, for Flynn Mm -hmm. and Zuzu. You know, I think one of the ways that I have found hope the most is by connecting with other cancer survivors and hearing very encouraging stories. Um, even like your story, Laura, you've been fighting NBC for quite a long time. Um, so one way that I find hope is just by talking with others and hearing their story, hearing um, kind of what they've been through. And that really encourages me to think that I could also be a long-term NBC survivor. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling like that was one of the first things I wanted to do was just find somebody mm-hmm. else who was walking the same path and that you are obviously so grateful for all the love and support for everyone that surrounds you, but there's nothing quite like talking to somebody who's really in it and sharing that connection. And I always – I was – um, really craving to talk to somebody who had maybe even a worse prognosis than I did, but was doing well. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to know someone who had, um, who was thriving in the midst of um, 
you know, kind of a a discouraging diagnosis. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much power in seeing the possibility, right? And um, I know I remember sometimes in my early diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer when I was so well and I was running marathons and climbing mountains and jumping out of airplanes and like I kind of went crazy with all the things, like living life to the fullest. And then I felt like kind of guilty. And it was somebody that else that was had metastatic that said, keep doing all those things because you doing them helps me believe that maybe I can too. And I realized it wasn't like doing them in like a, I didn't have to be guilty for my health, that it was like a a light for someone else to see that that is possible. And it, yes. it took this weight off my shoulders of feeling like I had to almost hide my wellness from the metastatic community because I had so much guilt about feeling well. Yeah. Which is crazy. But it is so true. I mean, representation matters. I mean, in all kinds of ways in life, representation <laughs> matters. So seeing the possibility, you know, seeing someone doing something that opens up the possibility that it could happen for you too. And I think that's why the Storython is so important that you're doing too, just to share these stories and to help us encourage each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you were diagnosed, how old were you and how old were your young children, Allison? When I was initially diagnosed, I was 34 and um, my son was three and a half and my daughter was one and a half. Oh my gosh. So I was first diagnosed at stage 2B and then um, did chemo, surgery, and radiation. Um, Seven of eight lymph nodes in surgery were positive. So I knew I was high risk for recurrence and I was triple positive. So I finished Herceptin and then six months later found a lymph node in my neck And that's when I um, was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So I'd always had kind of the fear of recurrence. Mm -hmm. I just didn't expect it to be so soon. Mm. It was just kind of like rolled on to the original diagnosis, kind of, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Our second question in helping guide the story submission process is how do you cope with the hard days? I've gotten much better at coping with the hard days. Um, I have a lot of tools that I use. I have a great counselor that I've seen um, since fairly early on. Um, I do take a low dose of anti-anxiety medication, which helps me tremendously. I don't feel numb, but it helps me mm-hmm. to have emotions and process, but not get stuck in those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I have great friends that I talk to. So when I have a hard day, I really try to recognize it pretty quickly. Like, um, and really identify what I'm feeling. Like I'm feeling jealous, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated. And one um, tool that my counselor suggested was to find a quiet space so you don't look kind of crazy talking to yourself, but to say those things out loud so that um, kind of your whole brain becomes aware of them and you have a better chance at dealing with them. So I found that on hard days, I'm able to um, acknowledge that they're hard and acknowledge kind of the emotions that I'm feeling but not get stuck in them. Once I've acknowledged them, I'm able to kind of let go of it and um, move through it much quicker than I ever did in the past. Mm. That is such good advice. Acknowledging and then letting... And feeling it. Feeling it and then giving yourself permission to let it go. Yeah. Or at least try to. Yes. And sometimes it's easier than others to let it go, but I found that I can move through those hard emotions much quicker Mm -hmm. than I did in the past. Mm -hmm. 
that's so helpful for someone else to, to hear that, just to hear that idea. Okay, the third question in the story form is, what have you learned about life through your cancer experience? Oh, I think um, one thing that I've learned is just that life isn't a given, that it's really a gift. I think I initially didn't realize how entitled I felt. I expected to be able to live till I was 100. Um, I knew I was going to die someday, but that day wasn't ever really going to come, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I expected to be able to have as many children as I wanted to have. And, but through cancer, I've, I'm just so much more grateful for every moment. I think in the past I was living more for the future and now I'm much more present and just realizing that every day and every moment is such a gift. And, um, it really has changed the way that I live my life. I think I hold plans much more loosely. I hold possessions and things much more loosely Mm -hmm. um, and try to really enjoy and just revel in the small moments too. Mm -mm. Completely. Okay. Well, that concludes the Storython questions. So that is so simple um, and so profound at the same time. Um, so if any of our listeners want to participate in the Storython, they will get a call from a volunteer, and they will just ask those three questions. It'll be as simple as that, just like Allison just shared so openly about her feelings and how those questions kind of brought out her perspective. And so now, thank you, Allison, for um, yes, allowing me yes. that little that little um, um, example um, for our listeners. And so if anyone's interested in participating in the Storython, again, it is March 14th through the 20th. And all that week, you can go online at hopescarves.org and fill out our online story form that has these three questions. Or on Thursday, March 18th, you can sign up for a volunteer to call you and just ask you these three questions. If, if it feels easier to say it than to write it, that's why we do the, the telethon day on the 18th. And you can sign up at hopescarves.org. So... Moving beyond our demonstration now, <laughs> I want to circle back to um, some of the things you just said that really made me think there, Allison. Your coping skill. I see just so much bright light shining from your smile and from your family and the way you embrace life and live life to the fullest. Your kids are now, your sweet kids, their names are so fun. What are their names? So Flynn is my son and he will be 10 in April. Okay. And then Zuzu, my daughter, will be eight in April. Ugh. And Flynn was three when you were diagnosed. Yes. And Zuzu was eight months? 18 so, months. 18 months. Okay. So to see them thriving and living with so much joy in the midst of what has basically been constant treatment since they were little and a lot of significant changes in your life for your family living this roller coaster of metastatic breast cancer. How do you feel as a mom that balance between just embracing each day and loving life and being with them and laughing and holding at the same time the fear of the unknown and the uncertainty of this disease and also the side effects and the stress of the treatments and things like that. Like, let's talk about how you balance that because you do it beautifully and, and courageously. And I know it is so freaking hard. Yeah, it's a lot to balance. Um, for one, I have an amazing partner. Like my husband, Brian, um, has just been 
so steady through from my initial diagnosis. And then we moved from California. He's a native Californian and I was there for 17 years. So we made the decision to move back to Nebraska. So through the move and then the relapse and the metastatic and continued treatment. Um, he's been so incredible to have such a great partner. And it's been really good, I think, for our parenting and our marriage because mm-hmm. at different times he's had to take on roles that I don't think he would have done had I been healthy. You know, there was a time when I was in Houston for two months getting treatment and he was alone with the kids. So he did the everyday things. He scheduled the play dates, took them to school. And I think he got to know them in a way that he wouldn't have if I was here. So I learned a lot of things. There are certain things that he does so much better than I do. So I've learned from his strengths. And then I think in addition, he also was like, man, you do a lot of shit. He actually said the first time when I was gone after a day, because he just realized like all the things that happen that moms do. Yeah. All the things that moms do. So having a great partner is super helpful. Um, and then I think with kids, sometimes you just don't have time to not feel well or to be sick or to really kind of worry about that because they need snacks and they are hungry and they have soccer. And <laughs> so there's so many times when I will go to chemo and come back and pre-COVID, you know, mm-hmm. um, be out on the soccer field with my daughter helping with her soccer practice right. or, you know, um, it just – chemo and treatment just kind of has weaved its way into our life. and Yeah. But life just continues too. Right. So And it's like we're so grateful to be able to do the things that are just everyday mom things. Yeah. Right? Like I find the juxtaposition sometimes – comical. Like yesterday I was on the phone. My children have this like light on their basketball goal that is blinking because they probably whacked it really hard with the ball. And so now it's like a strobe light. And so I was on the phone trying to see if I could get the warranty and, you know, just doing this like mom thing that was, I w- and then at the same time, my oncologist is texting me about scan results. And so I'm like on the phone trying to get like the warranty for the you know, the basketball goal light and read the scan results. And like, and I'm like, this is multitasking yeah. at yes. like <laughs> extreme right here because you just yes. want to keep doing life. And you're, you're just so grateful for the things that maybe you otherwise took for granted. You want to just be the regular mom and you have to because out of necessity, but also because it's what fills us up. It's why we're here and why we yeah. are fighting to stay here is to just be here and be part of our family, but you find yourself in these weird things where you're like setting up play dates and cleaning your port, you know, like it's like yeah. <laughs> crazy. I remember early on, like my first fear when I was diagnosed with MBC was that my kids aren't going to have a mom. Like I'm not mm. going to be here to see them grow up. Oh. And then pretty quickly, um, which was heart wrenching, but pretty quickly I realized, but I'm here now. So I can't miss out on being their mom right Mm. now because I'm worried about not getting to be their mom later. So I really do just try to um, do all the mom things. I mean, not miss a moment Mm -hmm. if it's possible. And and it's been interesting because they were so young when I was diagnosed and it's been such a part of their life. But as they get older, they have definitely have a different understanding of cancer and what it could potentially mean Mm -hmm. and – more fears and different things mm-hmm. um, as they've gotten older and process. Mm-hmm. There is so much power in what you just said. Just the ability to live so intentionally in today as opposed to the perceived future. And right. I mean, I remember feeling 
around my acceptance of my metastatic diagnosis that I, I couldn't even really be with my children at first because just seeing them made me mm-hmm. so sad. And mm-hmm. I felt so much pain in the fact that I was could potentially single-handedly be responsible for the worst pain they may feel in their entire life. Mm-hmm. Like our family being torn apart, me dying. I mean, that I was going to cause that for them. And, and, and it took a long time and work with my counselor and just – emotional, you know, aerobics to get mm-hmm. to the point like where you said where I had I too came to think I don't know if I'll be here to see them graduate from high school, but I'm here today and I am going to make the most of what I have right here because I don't know what's around the corner. And that's what living with metastatic breast cancer is all about. It's about finding the ability to live in the uncertainty, but not fear the unknown, but just live in the uncertainty with gratitude for what is right in front of us. Yes, exactly. And really, that's how we all should live. Right. I think, um, right. I don't think and no one's promised tomorrow, but I think mm-hmm. with metastatic cancer, it's that reality is kind of right in your face at all times where mm-hmm. most people just get to live with the ignorant bliss that life goes on forever. Right. Right. And wouldn't it be fun to go back to that place oh. sometimes? <laughs> carefree. I always say yeah. I just want the carefree like sense that like I can just dream about the future and just yeah. with like open open opportunity and um oh, it's, it is it is something I miss. Well, Allison, beyond being a mom and a cancer patient, um, you are an amazing artist. Oh, thank you. I love your work. Um, talk a little bit about your art, your inspiration, and the type of work that you do. So I um, make abstract paintings, and I uh, teach college and um, have been an artist for a while now. Um but it has changed through my diagnosis. Initially, I used to work on huge panels made of wood, but they were really heavy. So when I first had surgery, I had to switch materials mm-hmm. and started working on, um, it's called Yupo paper, kind of a synthetic paper that I paint on. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, painting with my, painting large paintings with my entire body became really important to me mm-hmm. because somehow using like my full reach kind of underlined this idea that like, well, I'm here, you know, Mm -hmm. and as I would step across the paper, because I worked on the floor, as I'd step across the paper, if I accidentally got a fingerprint or a toe print or something, I left it because Mm -hmm. it was just this mark of like my presence. Um, And yeah, so I, but I make, um, now I make paintings of all different scales, some large, some small, but all abstract. What's the largest piece that you've created? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think I have a few panels that were like maybe seven by nine feet. So, but they're fairly heavy. Oh. So seven feet by nine feet. Um, Yeah. But they're definitely, I mean, I know people make much larger work too. Yeah. Well, I just, um, how do people, you have a website for your work or you have an Instagram account? I do. I have um, allisonrash.com is my website. And then, Alice or Rash Allison, I think, is the Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you also have um, some words that are guiding 
kind of lights for you as you live your hopeful life. And they're words that I have also, I often say a lot too, ripple, pivot, and grit. Yes. Let's talk for a minute about what these words mean to you and the significance they have as you live your hopeful life. Well, pivot kind of came up because I had been in remission for a good two and a half or three years. I'd had clear scans. I was continuing to do treatment, but we spread out the treatment during that time. Mm -hmm. And then this spring, shortly after COVID started, I did scans and we found um, a lesion on my hip. So it was the first time I'd had cancer in my bones, a hip lesion. And um, when I was first diagnosed, I started sharing it became really overwhelming to share updates with everyone mm-hmm. just through text and phone calls. So I just ended up putting it on social media because it was just so much easier to do mm-hmm. it one time. I can relate um, to that. And so I've continued to do that. So when I found this lesion, though, when you share so openly, you also, you're not only managing your own anxiety or fears, but then you end up managing the fears or anxiety of others as well. So yes. Um, When I was wanting to share the information about having another relapse, um, this would be my, I think my third metastatic relapse. Um, I wanted to share kind of the way we were viewing it. And it was just that, you know, we kind of thought we were continuing down one path of treatment. And this is just a pivot. This isn't like the end. This, we now have to pivot and go a different direction and change treatment, do a new treatment plan, and then just continue on and keep Mm -hmm. going. So that was kind of where Pivot came from. And my mother-in-law was like, oh, I want a t-shirt that says that. So I was like, well, we can do that. So we ended up printing up Pivot t-shirts. And a lot of people have understood Pivot during COVID. Yes. Like, I think that that has become such a a little bit of a buzzword. buzzword. (laughs) It's definitely a buzzword. (laughs) And it's so universal because we all have to pivot in our lives. And the quicker we can, um, rather than staring down the path we thought we were going and lamenting that, the quicker we can pivot and just head down the new direction, I think the better. Yep. No matter what the circumstances are, because we all have to pivot constantly. Absolutely. Okay. And then Ripple. So Ripple, during COVID, and I think during cancer too, with both, there were so many things that felt kind of out of my control. Like I couldn't really, I can do certain things about my diagnosis, but there's a lot that I can't control. And during COVID, we really kind of quarantined ourselves. We really have this whole time since I'm immune compromised, but it felt like there was such a need for help in the world. So I was like, well, what can I do to help when I'm kind of stuck in our home? Mm -hmm. And so I started making small paintings, smaller paintings than usual. And I asked people to donate to different organizations and then I would just send them the painting. And so um, it just felt like if I could just make a ripple, if I could just give like, just do something small, like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in this ocean of need, if I could just make a little ripple, Mm -hmm. um, that that was something. And if we were all doing that, just doing something small to help out, then we could really make an impact. So that's kind of where Ripple came from. Mm -hmm. I love it. I talk all the time about the Ripple effect. Yes. And Hope Scarves has grown through the Ripple effect. We don't have a marketing budget and advertising and, you know, like we don't spend money on promoting ourselves in that way. It's all 
ripple effect. It's someone yes. who was touched by the love of Hope Scarves that tells someone else or sends a scarf to someone else. And the way it ripples out is just, you just never know. You never know who right. it's going to touch. And um, so I I love the ripple idea. And then grit, obviously, is a pretty significant part of facing yeah. life. I think my kids are homeschooling this year. And um, at the beginning of their homeschool, they talked about grit. And so we've had to talk about it because just with, I think, everyone experiencing fatigue during COVID of like, we're so tired of this, which I understand. I'm so tired of cancer. And I know you are too. Like, yes, we 100% get it. But that's when we have to like, buckle down and find that grit to just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love those three ideas so much. The idea of the pivot, of the ripple and grit, I can definitely identify with that being some good guiding principles for facing yeah. life. Um, I'm so glad for this chance to just sit down and share your story and also your art with our listeners and for them to meet you. Thank you for doing the demonstration of the Storython interview um, yes. with me and playing along. You're a good sport. It really is an important way for us to grow our story collection is just to tell stories. The power of stories is remarkable. And just that sense of connection in our shared stories helps us find common ground. And the ripple effect of those stories, mm-hmm. of not knowing whose life that will touch and who that will just give that little bit of hope to keep going. Exactly. So your story will now be paired with a scarf and will go out to someone else facing metastatic breast cancer. Your awesome. words of encouragement. Okay. So I have a lightning round. Okay. A couple questions for you to wrap up our time together today. Fill in the blank. Hope is. Hope is essential. I think um, it's just hope is what gives us the courage to take the next scary step mm-hmm. or to take the next step. So mm-hmm. for me, I think hope is essential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We know a hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect, happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through? We talked about this a little bit in the storython. Um, but another thing that gets me through is thinking back in the past when I was in hard moments and looking. So I'm a I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And so looking at the ways um, that God provided in the past during difficult moments gives me hope that that will continue mm-hmm. um, in the moment that I'm in currently. Mm-hmm. I read something the other day that was like, I wish I could call five years ago me and tell her this is where you're, you know, like this is, you're going to be okay. And then I wish five years from now me would call me. Yes. (laughs) It's just like, it's this idea of like looking back, seeing how much we've done, leaving open the possibility that things will, will be, you know, will be okay. And yeah. and finding that through your faith is is a powerful way to face those hard times. And I think for me, through my faith too, it's not always um, – like my faith isn't tied to a particular outcome. Like, mm-hmm. of course, I want to be here in five years and have five mm-hmm. years ahead me be calling myself back. Um, but also even trusting that um, – like sometimes I think that hope is not – or the hope or the goodness isn't like – 
from an earthly perspective. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes looking at the way things work out from an earthly perspective, it makes no sense. Like why Mm -hmm. would young children ever lose their mom? Mm -hmm. Um, But then seeing things from like a more eternal perspective Mm -hmm. sometimes helps me too, knowing that it's not tied to a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, besides your family, faith, friends, and phone, what is something you can't live without? Family, faith, (laughs) friends, and phone. Um, I even think just like a paper and a pen as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've gotten more into writing down my thoughts and things too. So besides a paintbrush, even just being able to sketch or draw something or to kind of process through emotions or life that way. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe a paper and pen. <laughs> Perfectly appropriate answer for an artist. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people call it a bucket list. I call it a wonder list. What is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? Mm-hmm. I really just want to be there to witness my kids' lives. Like, I want to be there for the sports games, for the heartbreaks. Like, I want to be the one that gets to hug them when they get their hearts broken. Um, I want to be the one that gets to celebrate them with all their victories, um, graduations, weddings, grandkids. Um, So I would love to be there for all those things. And then... I also love traveling. So traveling with my kids is so fun. And um, my husband and I studied in Germany in college. So getting to take the kids there someday, I think, would be really fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really just to be there to witness their lives is my yeah the biggest thing on my wonder list. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. I can relate full-heartedly yeah. to that. Because how that old wish. are your kids again? Remind me how my old you are. My kids are 13 and almost 16. And I was diagnosed when my oldest son was two and I was pregnant with Bennett. Yes. So, and then metastatic. Was Bennett six? He was seven. Yeah. He was in kindergarten, so probably six. Yeah. It was seven so years later. your kids too, I'm sure, have mm-hmm. been able to pro- – I mean, at different ages, have processed things so differently. Yeah. It's been a way of life. Cancer. Yes. They don't know really life without cancer, but I feel so – so um, grateful that even in that reality, when I look back, we laugh more than we cry. And we have traveled and we have lived life so fully. And in a way, it's kind of been an opportunity to just live this like big, beautiful life and let go of things that maybe would have been more significant or more, you know, of hurdles to our family Mm -hmm. because we just, you know, like this is, we don't know how much time we have. So we're just, we're living, you know, our best life right now. And um, sometimes I feel like that maybe has made my children slightly spoiled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm like, it's not normal that you've been to 10 countries and you're only 10 years old. Like, right. I don't I mean, like the, the travel and the things they've seen because I want to do all these adventures with them is like maybe a little bit off the charts, but I won't, I won't regret it. I'm just, but it's amazing. I have, to, yes. I have to try to ground them in reality sometimes when, you know, that's, that's, but that's the life they've been living. And I think 
living with a mom with NBC does ground them in a way that yeah, other in people, other ways. I mean, unfortunately, it naturally grounds them in a way that yeah. many people exactly. don't have that same experience exactly. or that same grounding. Exactly. So Ugh. travel to all the countries, do all the things, <laughs> spoil them like crazy. I know. I know. Exactly. We have permission. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Allison, for taking time today to share a bit of your hopeful life with our listeners and also helping um, demonstrate how the story then will work so that we can help get more people connected with our event and just for being a part of Hope Scarves. I'm so grateful that you yes. are part of the sisterhood of the Traveling Scarves as both a, a Hope Scarf recipient and now as a storyteller. Thank you. And I, I actually do have one other thing that I've thought about um, that does bring me hope too, mm. which I think is important for anyone with NBC is um, finding doctors that you mm. trust and respect and that also have hope. Mm-hmm. Because I think um, that's been huge for me to find just the, and I think it's different for every person. I think the right doctor is different for every person, but finding doctors who, um, who also have hope. I think Dr. Salem, who I see in Houston, is a prime example of that. But um, and it's them just so having important. hope and believing also gives me hope too. Yeah, and having a relationship that has open communication that you feel listened to and heard and a part of a team. Um, yeah. We talk a lot about that, that a lot of patients feel like they don't want to bother their oncologist or or right. rock the boat or seem needy or, you know, and I, it's so important to know that your care is you're not a, just a recipient of the care, like a cog in a wheel. You are, you're in a team with your oncologist and you need to be able to work together, especially if you're facing a chronic illness that is going to be ongoing, evolving. It has to be something that feels life-giving as opposed to life-depleting to yes. be in, I mean, let, I mean, cancer can, treatment can feel life depleting. That's like, that's, that's a reality. Um, But you want the experience and the relationship with your team to not feel that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. So true. And I'm glad you have that and you feel you have, you have that. Yeah. I think that's important for every cancer patient. It's so important. Thank you so much for taking time today to, to share your story so openly and um, being a part of a Hope Scarf story too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the hopeful life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.